Welcome to CinemaScope, a new podcast from True Story FM. Hi, I'm Andy Nelson, co-host of the Next Real Film podcast and Movies We Like. As a passionate movie lover, I've always relished exploring the diverse landscape of cinema. And when you look closer at the taxonomy of genres, subgenres, and film movements, you see an intricate web of interconnections and influences. This complex cinematic family tree spans only 125 years. So how did styles as diverse as the French New Wave, New Queer Cinema, and Ozploitation emerge? What cultural, economic, and technological forces sculpted these styles? And what hidden threads unite them all as part of the same fantastic art form? Those questions sent me on a journey to explore each style and trace their impacts, all to better understand the bridges between different styles. And that led me here to CinemaScope. In each episode, I'll be exploring one particular genre, subgenre, or film movement in depth, inviting expert guests to help us all better understand what defines that style, how it came to be, and what branches it, in turn, influenced on this big cinematic family tree. For example, how did German Expressionism shape American film noir? What's the difference between Westerns, Spaghetti Westerns, and Brazilian Nordesterns? We'll examine the economic and socio-political forces that birthed categories like black exploitation, and we'll spotlight visionary films and directors key to the evolution of different styles. So join me as we explore the complex forces that shape film's evolution and appreciate the diverse creativity possible in its relatively brief history. Let Cinemascope be your guide to understanding this art form we cherish how its genres blend, bounce off each other, and advance a rich tapestry of storytelling innovation. Together, we'll gain a deeper appreciation for this wondrous, shape-shifting medium. Our journey begins soon. Be part of this adventure by subscribing to CinemaScope today. Twas the night before Christmas... And all through the house, a creature was stirring, and it wasn't a mouse. What the hell are you doing in my house? I'm Santa Claus, where the milk and cookies? I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to the next reel on True Story FM. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Friday after next is over. We was on our lunch break. Craig and Day Day are getting something they never expected. Jobs. Daddy, how look? Like a damn snitch. Yeah, boy. If there's any problems, you just blow. And this is your booth. Keep it real, huh? We top flight security of the world, Craig. We ain't no damn top flight security of the world. Damn. We Craig and Day Day. Andy, uh, Friday after next. So when we ended last week, you and I did not have a great experience with next Friday. Is that fair? No, that's fair to say. Not great. Uh, And I had told you uh, in the lead up to that conversation or at the end of that conversation that what I had heard was that Friday after next was better than next Friday. So, Andy, I stand here before you just a guy watching a comedy about dope. And theft. And Christmas. And Christmas. What did you think about Friday After Next? I agree. I do think it was better than next Friday. I do, too. (laughs) I had a rollicking good time. Was it as good as Friday? I don't think it was as good as Friday. Was it really fun? Did I laugh uh, out loud watching the film alone? A true testament of a great comedy? I did. I laughed out loud. Alone. <laughs> I think you may have found it funnier than I did, but oh. I still I still do say it was better than the previous entry in this franchise. All right. Well, let's start there then. What do you think, if you were to characterize the uh the what made this movie funny to you compared to the last movie, where would you start with that conversation? Well, I I feel like we talked about with Next Friday, the real problem with that script is they had an incredible opportunity to take what they did with the first film and now move it to the suburbs and give us kind of the craziness going on in that neighborhood. And what they did with the neighbors, the... the, I can't remember the brothers' names, but uh, they just kind of gave us this real 
these you know kind of criminal antagonists and it just it kind of just took a lot of steam out of other opportunities that they had with what they could have done with pinky what they could have done with some of these other neighbors to really kind of give us a story of the suburbs which would have been great they succeed in what they failed with there by giving us a sense of the people who all kind of have these, well, some of the people, not all of them, who have shops in this strip mall. And uh, to that end, I really enjoyed what they did. They also give us a little bit of the neighborhood where Craig and Day-Day now have an apartment. And so we get, I, I felt like I had a lot better sense of the people in the story. And I enjoyed And that's what I think the franchise is strongest with, is when they give you kind of these these real people in the neighborhood in just like these crazy situations. I mean, obviously, they're really amped up comedy, but at least they felt real in the first film. I bought into those characters. In this film, I felt like it was a little more going down that road, even though the story, you know, they they take the story on some pretty uh, crazy turns that I think gets to be a little silly, a little on the silly side. And um, some of that stuff did not work for me. But on the whole, I felt like where they succeeded was giving me characters that I actually found to be, you know, big, over-the-top, crazy characters that were, they didn't always work for me, but I felt like I, a much stronger connection with them than I did in the previous film. I did too. And I think the characters that were introduced in the previous film, the replacement from Smokey to Day Day, uh, become fully realized for me in this movie. I think Day Day, uh, Mike Epps Day Day, showed up in this movie in a way that he didn't in Next Friday. I laughed at him constantly in this movie in a way that I just didn't I didn't connect with in in the previous. I thought he was he was great. Especially did you, uh, when did you he love first, Day Day? When he first gets his uh, uniform and, and is on the job yeah. and is just like stopping everybody. I mean, that was like, okay, I'm I'm totally digging on Day Day and the way that he's reading his job and now his his attitude with or his relationship with Craig, who's just like, what are you doing? You are crazy. Like that was a lot of fun when he he goes on to and yells at the the four old carolers, yeah. <laughs> the four old ladies caroling right. out in front of the liquor store and ta- yells at the kids and everything. Like that was a lot of fun. I I thought that was a side of Day Day that uh, I, they they kicked it up because he he was kind of this kind of this cowardly character and I think that's there but I think that the way that Mike Epps played him when he's a coward but now he's given some sense of authority by having just a, a strip mall security shirt all of a sudden it like does something to his brain that that's I thought right. was it makes funny. him world class top flight security professional <laughs> he's amazing. <laughs> I love it because he's kind of in this movie. I, these two together, Ice Cube and and Mike Epps, Day Day is essentially Craig like missing a frontal lobe. Right? There's something <laughs> going on where he just he's he just does whatever he whatever he wants, whatever he thinks. And I I think it is uh, I think it's really funny. And I think together they're really great. And I feel like Craig too. Uh, Ice Cube played him in a much more sort of involved capacity. That was a major you know a. a critique we had of the last film that we, you know what was his purpose it wasn't even his movie the last movie yeah, right. this was absolutely uh you know craig and day day and their movie together and i i felt like we were um we were in it uh, on the ride with them well craig they had a job yeah. yeah they had they both had a job they had right out of the gate they had something that they had to do together because this santa thief breaks in and steals a bunch of stuff, including the thing that their rent money was hiding in. And that puts them on to, that gives them their their motivation for the rest of the film. Now they have to try to, you know, do this job successfully, figure out a plan to get some money so that they can uh, pay their rent before the end of the day so they don't get evicted. That was the uh, the momentum that we needed in the story, which we didn't have in the last one because it wasn't his house. He was just trying to help them get money so they didn't get evicted. So it was it, it just didn't carry the same weight. Um, our nemesis too is another thing that they fixed in this movie in so many ways it wasn't as convoluted it wasn't as crazy there were competing uh, stories of, uh, con- you know, competing stories of the characters who were kind of out to get them and, and uh, you know, steal from the store and uh, sort of do them harm in the neighborhood. Uh, but they all made sense 
in the context of their experience in this strip mall. I have issues with the antagonist. I mean, the, the, the main antagonist, I guess we would have to say is Miss Pearlie. The, uh, the, uh, she's not even, what is she? She's just the manager of she's the, the property. The complex manager. Yeah. yeah. So she's the one who is going to kick them out. And she's a pretty disgusting, uh, older woman. Uh, that makes me laugh quite a bit, but she really, uh, like she, she's the antagonist. And to that end, I think that she works as the one who she's they funny. owe money to. Yeah. She's funny. Yeah. The bit she has with, uh, with Craig's dad, I thought was actually really funny. And when his mom, um, came in and it, it kicks to this little, you know, high speed of them kind of scurrying around this little cat fight, that made me laugh. Like there was some good comedy there. Mm -hmm. But we do get a little complicated with the number of antagonists. And to that end, it it got a little, um, uh, it wore on me a bit because we have the Santa, the thief Santa. Mm -hmm. And by the end of the film, when we finally find out who he is and all this, it's just like, it's a nobody and they stop him. And that was really flat and lame. Can I, can I ask you a question though? Uh, At okay, any sure. point, did you think that Santa was going to end up Terry Crews? Never. Oh, Way too right. small body type. I didn't no. either. I didn't think that either. Not once. I just wondered if you did because, you but know. I, well, but I, I kept just, wondering. I'm, sure I'm like, did. well, it's one of those stories and this is why <laughs> it ended up being frustrating because it's like, this is a story where you're going to have that Scooby-Doo ending where they're going to pull the Santa yep. mask off and it's going to be somebody from the story and you're going to have a reason as to why he's doing it and it's all going to make sense. And that's what I was waiting for. And at the end, it's just like, oh, okay, it's just some random guy living on the street or living out of a, a, like a, a, a foreclosed house. Uh, okay. And, and, and then they get him in the end kind of because uh you know pinky's limo driver crashes into him it was just you know that was frustrating for me and likewise we end up setting up this potentially really interesting story of what happened to the previous security guards nobody will tell them and then we find out that you know these the the little ladies their sons or grandsons i guess are are some thugs who you know after day day yells at them they sick their thug grandchildren on on these mm -hmm. guys and uh, but that never we never get any good resolution there either and so that was a really frustrating introduce uh, introduction of some potentially interesting antagonists who obviously did something to the previous security guards that we never really find out about. And I'm like, okay, but what's what's going to happen with that? There's got to be something. And the only thing that happens is at the end, when they're chasing the, the Santa thief, they end up, for some strange reason, coincidentally running through their house. And, you know, then, then, you know, this, they kind of, these guys are the ones who throw the Santa out the window. And I, I don't know, it just all of a sudden, it just hit this point where I'm like, why are these guys in the story, it just, it was, it was, that all got me pretty frustrated. Okay. Well, I, I can hear that. I guess I understand that. For me, it, it felt like it was confusion within the bounds of the universe that they had set up and that these guys had a direct role in it. Like, I can totally see, given what the rules that they have built for us, why the, the we're going to have a callback to the grandmothers from the very beginning of the movie, I, and and it's going to be a chase will ensue. Uh, I I bought that. Like I, I felt like that was a thing that that felt uh, in its way, in its Friday way, earned to me. Um, the the part that I did have trouble with, and and there are elements in this movie more than a few uh, that I struggle with in this movie because of how dated it is now. Right? Mm -hmm. It is incredibly dated this movie more so i think than the other two in the realm of sexual assault and uh violence against women and violence against men and like there are some there are lines in here that are um horrifyingly prescient when terry cruz is holding day day and is in a sort of a chokehold and he says i can't breathe like there yeah. are just that is just a, a chilling line watching this movie today uh terry cruz in particular who uh initiates a sexual assault in this movie yeah. to have him do that of all people who has since come forward as a victim in real life uh, and and an advocate for victims of sexual assault uh is uh it, it was chilling i found those kinds of elements chilling and and uh harder to stomach i think 
Well, and that is an interesting uh, thing because I, I really agree too. And honestly, I felt it quite a bit with the last film too, where I kept going, yeah, you know, honestly, even the, even the first one, but, yeah. you know, but I don't know. I felt like, you know, <laughs> I don't know. You're like, that's not really a hashtag me too type of movie, is it? No, no not no. really. Uh, there's definitely a, a tone that these sorts of uh, films have that that are a little frustrating. Um, I do think that um, when you look at somebody like Terry Crews, that's an interesting situation that, you know, I would really be curious about a conversation with Cruz just to see, because obviously this was 2002, long before he went public, which I think was uh, 2016, 16, 17. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Like many, many, many years later. And uh, we have uh, a kind of a very different perspective because, I mean, here was a guy who in 2002 was, you know, you know, relatively new in his acting career, I think, but largely was known more for kind of the football and he had a persona. And when you have that type of persona, even if something had happened earlier in his life, it's like the sort of thing that you probably bury because of the persona that you are asked to portray at the time. So, yeah. And and so the question is this, unlike let's compare this experience watching this movie and and specifically with regard to, let's just say, the sexual assault stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you compare watching this movie that is an artifact in history to concerns around watching a Kevin Spacey movie? It's not a question that I think is complete apples to apples comparison because it's it's more the type of thing because you're comparing the story to a person's career, right? And and so I, I think that it's almost something that you compare more with something that, you know, has blackface, you know, mm-hmm. like a lot of these community episodes or something like that that people are, are are banning now or Gone with the Wind or Song of the South or those sorts of things where it's like, okay, does this... Is there a place for this sort of thing anymore? And can you move yeah. past the fact that that this is this was? Uh, we'll just say maybe this was funnier then, and still enjoy it on some level today. It's it is the the ever shifting target mm-hmm. of uh, where you're balancing an entertainment form with kind of the realities and, and everything that you get when you step outside of that. That's the challenge. Yeah. And I, I think it's an easy question if if you're able to say, well, I can separate myself from the fact that this was 2002. I can I can watch it in context for that. I can acknowledge that there are problems with it and move past that and say, you know what, that's it is what it is. I'm not, uh, you know, it's, it, you know, I'm looking at it for what it is. I'm not going to go past that but i am going to think about what it's doing and where where it where its faults are i think the problem with any entertainment and i think this is why a lot of specifically animated sort of things get pulled because i think that especially with kids but i think there are plenty of adults too who when they watch stuff and this it's it's become a thing with the film industry where people go to it specifically for entertainment, specifically to shut their mind off and just have stuff thrown at them, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's kind of a problem. You know, you don't see a lot of people who are watching Friday After Next running out to watch, you know, go renting some Ingmar Bergman films or watching the next Terrence Malick film. It's, mm-hmm. you know, there's, it's not necessarily the same audience. And so I do think that when you have films like this that are really designed to just be sit down, uh, light it up and just kind of kick back and, and watch uh, watch a movie, there can be some harm when it still is out there. And I mean, film does live and that's it, it perpetuates that by continuing to kind of have a life after um, after its release date. Uh, it's tricky. It's, it's, it's perpetually tricky. And that's why I think studios are still trying to figure out what to do with some of this stuff. And, and yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know. I just, I, I don't know what the right answer really ever is going to be. I think it's just kind of a, really a case by case basis for each person. 
Right, right. Because I mean, these are these are guys. Both as and, and and I would say, you know, Ice Cube as an entertainer, right? Not just as a guy who's making comedy movies here, but also as a guy who has, uh, you know, spread his message, you know, using the an entire entirely different medium. Well, yeah, uh, I would say and, beyond entertainer, right? I mean, exactly. Full on somebody who's vocally kind of speaking out and and yeah. has messages to say. Right, right. And he, he uh, you know, pushing these, pushing boundaries is stock and trade for uh, for this kind of a, of an entertainer and this kind of a voice. And I think all of the people in this movie as comedians too, as comics, uh, this is this is the tool set. And I think, uh, um, so, you know, for me, I, I think I was able to separate a lot of that stuff. It, it got harder when my, when my kid came in and sat down next to me and said, hey, what are we watching? And we had to pause it and have that conversation. Yeah. Uh, uh, about you know how things have changed and how you know that that this is a comedy movie and it's okay for things to be funny as long as we can talk about what they mean and and what it does to have this kind of message you know out there in the world um yeah yeah, yeah it can it can be awkward you know yeah. my my daughter walked in right when miss pearly was grabbing <laughs> Craig's dad's crotch and and yanking him down onto her herself yeah. on the couch and it's like oh she's just like what are you watching dad it's like yeah 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 right right so it's yeah it's it's yeah. interesting that um yeah it, it's it's a I don't know it's a perpetually challenging uh, element of entertainment and that's also the nature of comedy and that's why comedy is is the story type that most often one feels dated and two is you know is is frustrating because when it lasts and it lingers like things like trading places you start going gosh that just the blackface in that just is so inappropriate and it's just kind of it makes me feel uncomfortable to watch it now um, but it still is a popular movie and Eddie Murphy's hilarious and, and, you know, it yeah. still has lines that I love to quote. And, you know, it, that's like the perpetual balance with, with things like this. And this film, I mean, it certainly has gained its cult audience because there is a lot of funny stuff in it. We do have some new principles in the movie, um, that I, I think are worth at least acknowledging the role that they play, which is, I, I think, funny. In addition to you know, John Witherspoon's back as Mr. Jones, mm-hmm. uh, Don D.C. Curry's back as Uncle Elroy, um, we have, uh, Clifton Powell back briefly as Pinky. Um, we, we introduce, uh, Cat Williams as Money Mike and, uh, his, uh, paramour, K.D. Aubert as, uh, Donna. Mm-hmm. Very funny addition to the movie. I thought he was yep. great. I I do too. He <laughs> he had a very funny. Just he fit well in context of what they're doing here, running the little you know pimps and hoes clothing store <laughs> in this little junky right. strip mall uh, with his stuff, and he just he clearly was having fun, kind of playing this part of this uh, rather diminutive uh, pimp. The suits. Yes. And the guy knows how to wear the suits. He's well, and this is his first film performance. I think he mm-hmm. started out just kind of doing stand-up comedy, and that's really kind of what where he got his start. Um, you know, and and before he really uh, started moving into more and more films and stuff. And you know, he's one of those guys. He's had issues at some uh, one here in Phoenix where he shouted at a Mexican some rather awful things mm. and. <laughs> And you know it's just one of those things. I it's it's uh, it, it didn't do well for him. And um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where he is now with uh, with stuff going on in his life. But I know he's had a lot of issues. Well, he is on a multi city comedy tour, touring with some of the hottest comedians to take to date. And that uh, little bio was written by the vice president of Cat Pack Investments. Hmm. I'm assuming. That is also related somehow to cat. I'd assume they're not getting very far right now in this particular yeah. point in time. Right, right. But he did. Uh, he he has gotten some attention for Atlanta Alligator Man. That was the episode Alligator Man in the show uh, Atlanta, uh, which right. I have not watched enough of. I uh, hear it's really really great. I haven't seen any of it. You want to talk about something that hits above that that punches above the six star rating on IMDb? Alligator Man. This episode is a nine out of wow. ten. How often do we see a nine? 
Not often. That's amazing. I'm telling you, that Donald Glover, talk about a multi-talented guy. Yes. Yes, indeed. Right. We don't, I, I don't need to spend a whole lot of time on Ricky Smiley, the Santa Claus. Uh, you already mentioned he's kind of a nobody. Uh, but Maz <laughs> Jabrani uh, as Molly, I thought, was also very funny. He was. He was. That was uh, that was an example of a character that I wish there was a little more of. And and this is one of the things like I felt like, I don't know, and maybe I'm misthinking, but I felt like the attitude shifts towards certain characters in this film and the previous film weren't as strong or didn't happen at all, like in the first film. And like the way that things shift with him after after he gets beaten up and they see him getting beaten up and they kind of quit they throw their things in and then they're like oh well we're on lunch and and then he fires them anyway and they get all upset and you know his dad says some things to him like uh, your camel outside's getting a ticket or things yep. like that i'm like gosh, we're going down a road all of a sudden that are like, why Why are we going down this road? And and that was kind of the last we see of him. And it just like, I felt like there was an, an interesting character there that all of a sudden just got just torn apart and they right. just turned on him in ways I'm like, why are we all of a sudden acting this way toward him when they know he got beat up? I, I, I don't know. And this would have been a moment where they and perhaps it boils down to Ice Cube script, right? I mean, it, that could have been a moment where they said, "Hey, we saw you talking to those guys about the security guards. You didn't tell us that something had happened to the last security guards, and now they're threatening us, and they obviously beat you up. It, it's on you. You should have said something to us. You know, it, it, this. It, I think if it's with a stronger script, there could have been more sense with situations like this." Yeah, I, I guess I can see that. The other perspective of that is is like you were talking about with with Cat and some of the issues that he's he has experienced. Like some of that, um, I, I think there is um, at least an effort to document in this movie in sort of a serious and comedic way the the um, sort of interracial racism, right? Yeah. that that this is something that's that's real and we're going to talk about it comedically because you know it's going to start with this is the guy who gave us the job and we're going to be excited about wearing our incredible outfits and we're going to be doing the job right now because we're amazing and then when it gets hard you know kind of true colors are going to show and that's a real part of um the experience of being in the neighborhood and being in the um you know being in the shopping center and being in this part of the world that you know, I feel like we can't discount. Like, yeah, that, I, I'm just saying that may have been intentional. Not that your point is not absolutely right on. I think we they could have been a little bit more clear about what that connection is. It just, yeah, it just all of a sudden ends up feeling very hateful. And I just wish that there was more scripted reason other than them acting like it was now his fault, even though it was, it, you know, it was like... I don't know. It's just all it, the way yeah. that it was structured was pretty poor. But you're right. And that is something that they address, like even in the last film with the Joker brothers. Yeah, uh, there I remembered at that time um, with kind of the the Hispanic African-American relationships. And you you do have some different um, tensions. So, right. I, I Also, the other thing and you, you we talked about Terry Crews a little bit and kind of that that whole thing. But I did think it was interesting for a little bit, for a, a small minute, that they actually paint him as as a gay character. But then mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, well, it's interesting because here he is, he's watching TV and he's getting excited watching um, uh, Tupac. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. I wasn't expecting this in, in one of the Friday films. Okay, there's something interesting that they're doing with a gay character that I would that really kind of came out of left field. So that was pretty interesting. And so that it just it ended up feeling very disappointing when he, I mean, I loved that he saw Money Mike. I'm like, this could be something interesting. Like, what's going to happen with this? And all they did with it was turn him into like a prison rapist in the yeah. bathroom. And I'm yeah. like, ah, you guys, yeah. there was a real opportunity to do something interesting with these characters here. And they just, they totally ruined it. And, you know, perhaps it's playing to the kind of the, you know, the, you're always, targeting your low-end audience, and maybe that's what Ice Cube was doing when he wrote the script, but it just felt like they really ruined any opportunity to have justified any of that. Well, it was the easy funny, and uh, and as a result, I think, you know, 
is stuck in its own trap of of not not being able to outlive its own you know place um but i do i I do agree with you and i think that uh you know i I think i had this additional sort of layer which was how well do you think the the character was allowed to explore the transformation that happened to him in prison right and and Mm -hmm. how how hard it you know prison is i think that was another opportunity in the movie through cruise uh just because of how talented he is and how um sort of I, I think introspective he is as a performer um that that would have been a, a great opportunity to not just you know not just sort of make it an experience about oh there were just a whole bunch of men in prison and now he's gay um because that that again was was yeah, easy right um and i think i just think that the character was capable of more Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, I I felt like they and I felt like they were getting close to it too, which was just, yeah. it was just disappointing that they then just bailed on it completely. How well do you think then that they were able to sort of handle the relationship uh between police and uh, you know, the community? Like uh, did you have any did it, did it give you any sense of uh, awareness as you watch uh, Joel Joel Miller and and uh, Reggie Gaskins uh, in their apartment and uh, the relationship between Ice Cube and as he's you know they have their little exchange don't you know don't mouth off at me I'm the victim right right I you know honestly it was uh, I found it nice that they included these guys in in the film like actually seeing some cops in here i was like okay this is good we're actually getting police in here and uh that worked for me the fact that we had them they weren't necessarily effective all the time but they were there and i was like you know i felt like in some way i'm like maybe there's some something that cube is doing in his script to call out the whole idea that you know they're not always great sometimes they are just eating donuts but hey they are still putting the putting the thieves in the back of their car and taking them away and you know there was a benefit to that and i thought that was pretty interesting and i thought it was pretty telling that he also had them um taking the confiscating the weed only to be smoking it in their in their police cruiser in front of their house and do the whole pop pop give that that made me laugh to no end uh it it was funny to see them in 2002 to see joel mckinnon miller uh, as officer a hole uh, and Terry Crews in the show together. They are uh, um, exceptionally funny characters as well on Brooklyn Nine-Nine yeah, right now. Very so, funny. You wanted so. to say something else. No, that's actually, I was going to talk about the police officers. So. Oh, you were? Yeah, well, look, look at, at us. I know. Same page, man. Same page. You know, I, I do want to, I, we should call out, we we briefly mentioned, you mentioned Donna, Money Mike's girl. Mm-hmm. And I, I will say that is something else that does end up feeling like not quite, you know, fitting in with the way that stories are trying to go these days. I felt like Donna was just an easy script write just for Cube to get a cute girl in there that he could ogle. And uh, really, that's all she's there for. It's really kind of, depressing that that's it right and then later we have when pinky shows up uh he brings his three girls and you know they're spanking him on the ass and just all that stuff and i'm like "Ah, geez you know i I just felt like it was the baser level of script writing that he was doing and it didn't it didn't do anything for donna which was a real shame so it's it's frustrating that the the women are treated so poorly in uh, these last two films in particular. Well, and the the woman that is treated the best in the movie, I, I would say, is Mrs. Jones. She's back, and yes. she's in the movie for about a minute and a half. Well, she's at least got some. You know, she she's got her eye on her husband, which yeah, it had some funny moments. Uh, then let's talk then one more uh, about the relationship between Uncle Elroy and uh, Mr. Jones. Mm. They're funny. They and are yet, funny. This is another opportunity for, huh, how does that commercial work now? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All 15 seconds of it. That is one of those things, though, that I feel like transcends uh, uh, time. And and because that's a that's a gag that uh, I don't know. 
uh, which I'm talking specifically about the barbecue restaurant. And the tagline for the barbecue restaurant is slash was uh, barbecue. It's so good. It'll make your slap your mama. Right. And in the commercial, Mama turns around at the grill and Mr. Jones turns around and and slaps her. And it felt very much like a Zucker level, kind of an airplane level uh, uh, gag. And I I, I still laugh at airplane. Yeah, it's weird because I felt like the the commercial was the commercial. Yeah. Um, And I, I mean, here's the thing. Airplane, 1980. Yes, yeah. 2002. 2002. That's so there's, fair. there's also the difference. You're making something that feels like a 1980-level comedy from the Zucker Brothers in 2002. And it just it, it, it doesn't end up carrying the same... Um, so just to know, make sure you didn't way. like it. You know, it was... I, I think my problem was... I, I, I rolled my eyes at the commercial. You know, it was funny. I loved that he actually, instead of saying brothers for B-R-O-S period, he says bruz. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, bruz barbecue. And uh, so it had its moments, but I think the thing that turned me on it and turned me against it was when we meet grandma in the back cooking the barbecue sauce, she actually has a giant welt on the side of her face from being actually struck in in the making of the commercial. And that was like, oh, that seems like all of a sudden it it went a lot darker than perhaps it should have, because now it's like he hit his own mom and she's got a you know, she looks like she's been beaten. I'm like, this just all of a sudden got really gross. Well, which I wonder, is the is the message there that, you know, this is a, a a character and a part of the community that doesn't know what they're doing, that doesn't know the damage that they're inflicting on one another. Yeah. Like, maybe. I felt like that was, that's sort of the gift of the heart of this movie and this series when it works, is when you turn around, you realize, oh, Cube knows as he's writing this, he knows mm-hmm. that this is not just a vaudeville gag, that there are repercussions to actions, right? Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and and I felt like that was, um, I, I felt like that was noted in that sequence in particular for me. The, the place where I struggle with it, though, and this is a central sort of failing, I think, of the movie, is that I think Mr. Jones has once again deteriorated in his importance in the movie from the first Friday. And I I wonder what is going on that Cube sort of forgot how to write this guy, because I think the the first movie, he was amazing. He was funny and goofy, and at the end, he delivered on the heart of the film. The second movie, there was none of that. The third movie, there was still none of that. And I thought, if anything, we get a little redemption. We don't get redemption. We get it that he's the guy who slaps your mama. And um, and so I, I struggle with it on that level. I thought it was um, I, it did not pay off well. That is a real shame. And I, I can't help but feel like having DJ Pooh's involvement in the script for the first film was the strength of that film. And honestly, I think that F. Gary Gray directing uh, yes. carried a lot of weight. And here, you know, we're bringing Marcus Raboy in, who is yet another music video director that Cube taps to to come in and make the film. And I'm just like, well, okay, great. But I feel like maybe instead of these first-time directors, um, you know, go back to Gray and bring him on to do it again and, and you know, kind of get a nice strong script with DJ Pooh and and bring us something that feels I don't know just has has a stronger feel to it you know I don't see in terms of Raboy's uh, work he did Friday After Next is it possible that's the only feature he's done um he did uh well, he did an episode of Platinum, an episode of The Life and Times of Marcus Felony Brown, which was a TV movie, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, then it looks like he did three more movies, Janky Promoters comedy film. Oh, that's um, right, yeah. Yeah, with uh, uh, Ice Cube and Mike Epps. Um, and then Pete Holmes, Dirty Clean, and Anthony Jeselnik, Fire in the Maternity Ward. I don't know uh, what those are, if they're... Yeah, they seem like comedy specials. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. He's done a lot of comedy specials and Mm -hmm. for everyone from, uh, you know, like you said, from Pete Holmes to Patton Oswalt to Jimmy Yang, who's amazing. Uh, And those are the the last two are on right now. I think you can get I think uh, Jimmy Yang's on Amazon possible it's an Amazon Prime special and Patton Oswalt, I think, is Netflix. So like they're everywhere. And 
Um, so I think he he really found his place, right? But yeah. it's it's this isn't an F. Gary Gray movie, right? right. Not even yeah. an early F. Gary Gray movie. Nope, nope. Yeah, it's it's a shame. Um, but I mean, hey, I like not that much of a one. shame. I still laughed. I still thought it was funny. Right. It like, ha- it had its moments. It had yeah. its moments. I I had a lot of problems with it. Still, um, they introduce characters that don't do anything. You mm-hmm. know, I I actually liked the pinky came back here, but I felt like the way that that relationship yeah. was repaired question mark here no. was I was like that what it's like yeah. oh day no, you know everything's good I'm like that that's that not was, good. Yeah, that was terrible. Terrible. That's how you're going to do it. I mean, I liked the character more here because, I mean, I guess he's just given more, but still, I just, I don't know. I felt like another opportunity that Cube could have done something um, to to give us a little more. And the other thing that I, I really felt we could have done more of is... And this going back to the first film, like we really meet a lot of people in that in that neighborhood. What what's going on in that check cashing place? Like we we see those guys um, the, who are chasing them at one point go in there, but we never meet people there. It's like there there are a lot of different people, and or the liquor store or wherever the the chrome uh, the hubcap place wherever. I felt like there were people in this block in this strip mall that we could have met, and even if we just spent a little bit of time with, it just really kind of give us a sense of the, the the relationships and the neighborhood of this community that we have in this little strip mall here. That's the sort of stuff that I think Friday exemplified with its strengths that we just don't have. you have anything to say about our good Glenn McPherson behind the camera? Um, hmm. He did Rambo. Do you see connections between 2008's <laughs> Rambo and this? That is funny. You know... I, it's a Christmas movie, and so to that end, I think that they, you know, allowed themselves fun to put up Christmas lights in a lot of places to help kind of provide extra lighting and stuff like that. I don't recall anything special. It was no Pompeii. He also did Pompeii. <laughs> he also did Trick or Treat, which I yeah. actually enjoyed quite a bit. Oh, he's done a lot. Like, uh, the yeah. guy's got a ton of of credits. Final Destination, uh, Resident Evil. He's been in the, the Resident Evil. Yeah, uh, he did the last those. Resident Evil. Um, and it, so, I mean, it's not uh, it's not like he doesn't have an eye. It, this is just a funny... This is a funny movie given the rest of his credits, I think. That's that's more where I would, where I would go. Yeah, um, yeah. He's done a lot of, like, action horror and um, gore stuff. Although... You know who probably knows him is JJ. Uh, what do you think? He's the DP behind Glee, the 3D concert movie, and Jay ran uh, cable cam on that movie. Oh, there yeah. you go. Yeah. I, I will just say as far as the, I mean, obviously these films, the soundtrack is is kind of a part of it. And mm-hmm. I, the opportunity to do some Christmas music, I think, was kind of a fun shift. And so we had some some different Christmas covers that were kind of nice to hear here. So it was it was a nice little shift from the last couple. You know, I, I had a thought about why I was put in such a good mood, such a good spirit when watching this movie. You know my love of National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. <laughs> I do love, I do know you love that, yes. Tell me you didn't get a little bit of that rush when the opening credits comes on. You know, that's, I'm glad you brought that up because that was a note that I had was I loved that they did like these animated Christmas credits. It was very fun. It felt very in the spirit. It was, uh, it also weirdly ended up fitting kind of the tone of the film. Um, And so to that end, like that was a great, uh, a great element to include here. Um, It's interesting because it is a Christmas film and we haven't really talked about that in the sense of it being a Christmas film. It's not like I hear people talking about this is Christmas vacation. They're going to put it on every year. Right. Uh, Maybe not in my circles. Maybe some people are putting (laughs) Friday after next on their, on every year at Christmas time. But you know, I don't know. I felt like it could have had a little more, a little more, you know, I feel like when you're doing a Christmas movie, like Christmas Vacation, having something in it about kind of the the Christmas spirit or whatever is kind of an important part of that if it is going to be a quote Christmas movie. And so that's something that I felt like wasn't in this film that they could have done to really kind of just give it that little extra boost to make it something that I suppose would be an annual classic. 
that's a really good point because what we have here, you know, it, halfway through the movie, I think is the last bit where we have, you know, uh, Uncle Elroy dressed up as the reindeer and that that was craziness. Such a funny bit. It was such a funny bit, and uh, but the rest of the movie, it didn't have to be at Christmas, right? There wasn't there wasn't much except for they have a great you know um, out for the Santa outfit right the beard yeah. uh for the the you know running around stealing stuff we have a rogue santa um i i think they that was an easy fit to the christmas season but this didn't have to ha- take place at, at christmas and there was no sort of feeling at the end of the movie that anybody was transformed learned their lesson play ball right yeah, like you didn't right. you don't have any of that but i do love the opening credits and i think that the whole like black christmas vacation angle was really funny and uh, i think they uh, i think they did that just right well, and I love that Uncle Elroy, around the part where he's dressed as the reindeer, he says, we ought to be celebrating Kwanzaa anyway. <laughs> That's right. That, That's that exactly just made right. me laugh out loud. Right. So it did have those moments. Yep. And uh, I, I think my favorite moment, um, one of my favorite moments of the film, actually, is when... when uh, <laughs> Mr. Jones is dressed up like Santa and he's got the kid on his lap and he's listening. I want the new <laughs> Xbox and I want every game and I want it tonight. And I want it. And I, I know where you live, Mr. Jones. He's like, what do you mean, Mr. Jones? I'm Santa Claus. No, you're not. I know who you are. <laughs> like, that, was just, that was like legitimately funny. Here's my address. <laughs> I know where you live, Mr. Jones. <laughs> uh, I, I think this was, you know, we've we've taken some risks with our second half here. There are a lot of movies that we haven't seen and a lot of movies that we we've seen number one, but not anything else. And <laughs> uh, and and so that makes this season a, a, a risk for us. I am still glad that we watched these movies, even though the second one did not live up to the first. The third one doesn't live up to the first, but just not as much. Uh, I, I, I feel like they were uh, I, I feel like it was fun, funny overall and um, and. Uh, I I got more joy out of them than pain. How about you? Yeah, I mean, well, here's the thing. It's like when you're doing kind of stoner comedies in your movie series, you kind of already know what you're stepping into. I think that there is a certain type of film that you're going to be getting. And I... I don't know. I guess I my hopes, having seen only the first Friday, which I think is pretty a pretty well put together film. I, mm-hmm. I like what they did with that one. I guess I was just hoping that the rest of the franchise would hold up or at least find ways to to kind of create as effective a world as that first one did. And I'm I'm disappointed that neither of those lived up to that first one. But I'm glad I saw them. And I I mean I definitely had some laughs. And so I think that's the goal. And I mean even the second one, which you know we rated pretty low, uh it still had a few moments. And it and if it wasn't for kind of the lame story of trying to get the money to save the house, like there were interesting elements with the the some of the people and Uncle Elroy and stuff that it could have been so much more. And so, uh, you know, I, I I don't know. I'm glad that I watched them because there are moments that I laughed at. And, uh, you know, that's that's what they're for. They're just they're not classics in my mind, but at least uh, at least I know that they're out there. And and if I see them on TV, I know I can get a couple chuckles out of them. We So now we're at the end of number three. We got to talk about sequels and remakes, Andy, not just because uh, there is rumor in the wind and controversy surrounding a sequel. Well, last Friday, we we talked about this series ages ago, but we were holding out because last Friday was always in talks. But then, unfortunately, John Witherspoon passed away. And uh, with that, I think the status of it's really been kind of, uh, you know, all over the place. And I think Ice Cube was actually hoping to get it going in 2020 on the 25th anniversary. But uh, with everything happening this year, obviously, it's not happening. And so I don't know. I think because John Witherspoon passed away, um, I think everybody's just like, eh, who knows what's going on? I mean, he only died last October. And so it's it's really put things uh, to the wind. But um, and then Ice Cube, you know, he's very frustrated because he's he's frustrated with New Line Cinema that they wouldn't commit to make the film while John Witherspoon was around. So, mm-hmm. 
it's just one of those things. Honestly, it's it's a franchise that makes money, and so I'm surprised that they didn't. And I'm surprised that it uh, it was such a struggle to get to that point. I don't know what the holdup was. Um, but they did do an animated series, very short-lived, only eight episodes. Uh, Friday, the animated series ran uh, in 2007. That's and amazing. I did not even, I can't believe I didn't watch the entire thing to prepare for this. <laughs> well, you saw more of it than I did. I played on MTV2 for uh, for those eight episodes. MTV2? Uh, yeah. Hmm. The one Don't that, remember much that, else about MTV2. It was the one that, when they uh, were shifting things around, I think, I, you know, honestly, I don't remember. I think, I felt like MTV2 was showing more of the TV shows, and then MTV was going back to music videos, but then MTV was showing all the TV shows, and so I don't know how they shifted things around. Yeah. Who knows? I don't even yeah, know if they yeah. still have those two. Do they still do music videos on MTV? I thought all those were in Amazon and iTunes now. Yeah, right. Uh, or YouTube. Uh, YouTube. Yeah. Uh, how about uh, award season? This had to have cleaned up in 2002. <laughs> Just like uh, the smoke out of the uh, end of a joint, Pete, it's all up in smoke. There's nothing. It's bupkis. Oh. Oh well. Yeah. Oh well. Uh, all right. How to do with the box office? It made a mo- made its money. Uh, yeah, Marcus Raboy's third film cost ten million to make, a notch down from the past one, but still fourteen point two million in today's dollars. Being a holiday themed film, the movie opened November twenty second, two thousand two, the week before Thanksgiving here in the states, and in the prime window for holiday films. It opened opposite Bond's Die Another Day, The Emperor's Club. Eight Crazy Nights, another holiday film, Treasure Planet, and Solaris. This opened third and only stayed in the top 10 for three weeks. It did go on to earn $33.2 million domestically and 273000 internationally, not much, for a total adjusted gross of $47.6 million. That gives it an adjusted profit per finished minute of $393,000, the worst in the franchise, but still a financial success. That's amazing. That's yeah. like big money for a little movie like that. Yeah, and the, again, I don't know why uh, New Line uh, was being so wishy-washy about getting the next one going, because it seems like a franchise that, you know, even if the script isn't that great, it probably still would have made its money back. All right, Andy, let's see how it works out on the uh, on the mat. Let's do it. Head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel. You'll see all the movies we've talked about on this show. You swipe over in your show notes, tap the word flick chart. You'll head straight into the catalog to this very movie where you can add it to your own list and see how it stacks up against ours. First up, Friday After Next or The Birdcage. Birdcage here. I will say The Birdcage. Friday After Next or The Host. The Host. I will say The Host as well. It's, not, going, it's not off to a good start. Not off to a good start. Or The Young Girls of Rochefort. I think I'd watch Friday After Next first. I'll say The Young Girls of Rochefort. All right, here we go. One, One two, a two, a three. three. Scissors. <sighs> Young Girls takes it. Friday After Next, or everybody's favorite Diane Keaton film, The Little Drummer Girl. <laughs> Friday After Next. I will say Friday After Next. Friday After Next or Certain Women? Friday After Next. Uh, certain Women is a slower film, but I, uh, and Friday After Next has a few uh, moments of levity. I will say Certain Women. All right, let's do it again. All right, here we go. Uh-huh. One, One, two, two three, three paper. scissors. Cow, Andy, for crying out loud. <laughs> certain Women takes it. Friday After Next or Rocky Five? Oh, Rocky Five. Rocky Five? Uh, which one is Rocky Five again? I'm so bad at these Rocky movies. I never remember which one's which. Is this the one with the sun, or is that Rocky Balboa? I keep wanting to say you remember the one with Bubba Hotep, and that's not. That's not who it is. Uh, it's it's no. Uh, it's it's the one where he um, he trains the he trains the the big guy, the protege from Mickey's gym. He trains him. He takes him on as, oh, it's a, a, as a buddy. Oh, street fight at the end. It was this. It ends in the street fight. That's right. Uh, Why can't I remember his name? Um, I don't know. It, uh, Clearly, I don't remember much about Tommy. That one. Tommy Morrison. Um, okay. Tommy Machine Gun Morrison. I don't know. I'm gonna say Friday After Next. Really? 
Uh, Even with the street fight? (laughs) So, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I'll take Money Mike over. (laughs) All right, let's do it again. Here we go. All right, here we go. One, One, two, two, three. three. Rock. Rock. Paper. Rock. Okay. All right, there we go. Rocky Five takes it. Come on, Friday after next or Outbreak. Uh, (laughs) Oh, geez. Uh, Friday Uh, after next. I'll take Outbreak. Oh, my goodness. Not thrilled. All right. Here we go. One, One, two, two, three. three. Helicopter. Oh, right. (laughs) All right. Outbreak takes it. (laughs) Friday after next or dinner for schmucks from our recent Francis Weber series. Um, Um, In terms of comedy movies... Oh, God, geez, they I both think are so problematic. They are they're problematic movies. Yeah, you know. But I will say, Dinner for Schmucks has a perfect scene when uh, Steve Carell brings the woman to the luncheon. Like that was that was the perfect scene. Jay Roach comedy right. direction. I'll give it. I'll give it to you. I have a feeling that's so, where you're going. Dinner for Schmucks. I'm going to pick Dinner for Schmucks. All right. For, oh, here you go. Look at this. Friday after next or next Friday. <laughs> Friday after next. I think we can both agree Friday yeah. after next. Well, that puts it one spot above next Friday on our chart in spot 431 out of 460 films, which, uh, you know, it's about a 6%. I feel like the way you've talked about the movie over the course of the last hour has has tilted precipitously down. I think you like the movie less now that we've talked about it. I don't think that's true. No? <laughs> no, I think I I think I felt pretty much the same <laughs> from the start. <laughs> How did it end up on your uh, chart? Pete, I did tell you. I did think this was better than the last film. But it's you thought not the last better. film sucked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So it didn't have didn't have far to go. The last film I rated it ended up in a one percent on my personal flick chart. This one landed in spot forty one forty three out of forty three ninety, which is a six percent on my flick chart. It's it's really problematic. It has its moments. It does have its moments, and honestly, it deserves probably more than a six percent. But just like when I was ranking it, the, those crappy moments are the ones that kept popping in my head. So. That's where it is on my personal chart. Where did okay. it land for you? Well, uh, it it landed at. Um, I'm just seeing. Yeah, okay. So Friday landed at 187. Yeah, on my Friday list. went high. Yeah, that was as I recall. That was, that was good. a five star film for you. It was, and this one ended up 854 out of 1456, which makes it a two star or a 41 percent, which is close to two and a half. Like that's that's close to right in the middle for me. And that's kind of what it felt like. I got enough laughs. I had enough of myself just sort of questioning what did Cube mean by this? Am I supposed to find this funny or hurtful? Uh, You know, and I I found myself thinking through enough of it that I feel like uh, that that feels pretty good. I'm going to I'm going to stick with a two and a half star and a heart Mm -hmm. on this this one and uh five star on the first one and i think i was right with you on uh the one the, and a half the other yes one and a half uh, on the last yeah. one so um yes pretty yeah, good I, spread i went one and a half on next friday with no heart and it's only a half step higher i ranked this one two stars but I did give it a heart. And I think there's a big difference between a one and a half with no heart and, and a, a two, two with, with a heart. A heart. Yeah. Because this this actually had some moments that I, I really just found a lot more clever and and fun and 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 light. And I think that it needed those. And I just I, it's frustrating because I I feel like Cube has it in him to do a little more. I just feel like he tends to fall on the lazy side with his writing and ends up just not giving as strong of script as he could. I think he could do a lot better. Yep. There's a little bit of this movie that felt not quite finished workshopping. Not quite finished. Well, I mean, just as my last closing thoughts, I do want to say I think that it was a fun franchise to look at. And now it really makes me want to jump into the Barbershop series, which is another one that I I think that uh, I want to say his company was also behind those. The Cube Vision. It was. Yes, I was right. Mm -hmm. 
And I just, I really enjoyed that first Barbershop film. And I heard that was another franchise that's really fun. And I'm curious if it kind of falls off the rails as it goes along like this one did. But now I kind of want to check check out those ones and see how it all turns out. So Awesome. So what, what yep. are we doing next, though? Well, we are uh, jumping into what should be a fun, interesting glimpse into Oscar history. We are going to be looking at the films that were nominated for, I should say, the international films that were nominated for Best Picture. We've only talked about one of those on the show. There have been 11. And the one we talked about was The, emig- the Emigrants, which was a, a um, listener's choice episode that we did a few years back. And so we're going to be looking at the other 10, starting with uh, Grand Illusion in 1938 and going all the way up through the most recent winner, Parasite, in 2019. Oh, I'm so glad we get Parasite on the list. We're going to have a lot of good films to talk about on this list with some also yeah. <laughs> I think rather controversial ones it should be or at least one controversial one it should be interesting and it will be interesting to see how uh, things shift in the world of uh, foreign language films getting nominated as far as kind of what the rules were and everything and and you know did they also get nominated in best foreign language film did they not I'm really curious to kind of dig into this little bit of Oscar history. Now, for people who are looking to prep for this, um, you have have you been through them all now? Have you did you clean up uh, of of the actual films yeah, that in we're going to be your, watching? Yeah, yeah. I have watched them all now, and how I am, if, do you have any commentary on any that might be hard to access? Um, no, I uh, so the films that we are discussing are not too difficult to access. I I don't think that's going to be the issue. I think the, uh, if people want to do what I'm doing, which is a little crazy, I'm also watching just to more fully be able to have this conversation with you. I'm watching every film they were nominated against. uh, (laughs) And, and I'm watching all of the films that were nominated for Best Foreign Language Film that year, regardless of whether that you know the film we're talking about happened to be nominated or not. Now, I will say some of the films on those lists are rather tricky to find. But, okay. but on the whole, um, I, I don't know. It's been an interesting exploration. And I'm, I'm hoping, I mean, it's an awful lot of movies. I'm hoping I can get through it all by the time we uh, jump into that series. I guess we'll find out soon. <laughs> Sorry, I was going to say when the movie ends, but clearly it doesn't ever. <laughs> the movie ever never ends. ends. It never ends. No conversation speed. <laughs> I, I got I to put another movie on. <laughs> when the movie uh, ends, our conversation begins. <laughs> Amazon giveth, Andrew. Oh, yes, they do. In the world of opposites, Amazon sure does. Oh, real controversy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, today, we take on the age-old question of Friday After Next, is it or is it not a family movie? Two right. Amazon reviewers weigh in. Let's start at the top. All right, five stars from DJH, who says, last of the trilogy went out with a bang. Family favorite. We watch it every Christmas break as a family. It's so funny. Cat Williams and Terry Crews made this movie. Okay, we have one weighing in for family movie. Sure is. Family movie. And to answering our question, they watch it every year. Mm -mm -mm. Let's see what Amazon commenter here, Kitty Kitty, has to say. Oh, (laughs) one star, not a family movie. This is definitely not a family movie. I don't understand all the praise for it. It's very vulgar and trashy. If you like that, then it gets five stars for trash. Stars is spelled S-T-A-H-H-R-S for trash. I don't get into it, so five minutes was my limit. That was enough to hear every cuss word known to man and to fill your children's heads with enough sexual content to ruin any innocence they may have. You know, it'd be really funny if if here Kitty Kitty was like DJ H's granddaughter 
and you're getting <laughs> two perspectives <laughs> from within the same family. DJ, oh no, the whole family loves it. And she's just sitting in the corner. This is so vulgar. I can't believe my grandmother makes me watch this movie every year. I don't understand what Pimps and Hoes is all about. <laughs> Thanks, Amazon. <laughs> you know what I got the other day, Pete? Stephen King's latest. Want to borrow it? Do you know who you're talking to? What do you mean? Andy, when's the last time I read a paper book? It's been like decades. I would much rather use Kindle or better yet, Audible. What am I thinking? I don't read paper books anymore either. I am an audiobook guy all the way. For those of you looking to listen to the books behind the films we talk about here on The Next Reel, get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at thenextreel.com slash audible. It's the way to go. All right, we're going to play a little game. I'm going to name a series from season 10, and you try to guess how many movies from it were adaptations. 10 seasons of this. I should be a pro by now. First up, David Fincher. This was a member bonus. Gone Girl. Aquatic Killers. Mm, Certainly not Tentacles. (laughs) Oh, In the Heart of the Sea. Nice. Here's another member bonus. John le Carre. Uh, uh, The Russia House. I love that score so much. Here's a tough one. Soviet science fiction. Ooh, uh... I have no idea. All of them? Not quite. Just Dead Mountaineers Hotel. Awesome. We've covered lots of great movies that started out as books, plays, even comics. Sources like Ivanhoe, Conan the Barbarian, Eight Million Ways to Die, The Hot Rock, Born on the Fourth of July. American Psycho, The Shawshank Redemption, The Green Mile, The Mist, The Big Heat, and Naked Lunch. So many great movies from so many great sources, and they're all on Audible. Producing this podcast is a lot of fun, but takes a lot of time. We've dropped the dynamically inserted ads because they're so annoying and have no connection to our content. Plus, they just jam those things in wherever they see fit. We listened to you when you said you didn't like them. So now we're directly appealing to you, our dear listener. Please consider an Audible subscription to help support The Next Reel and our family of podcasts. I have been using Audible along with my family for decades now. I love it, and I have read hundreds of books through it. I couldn't be more pleased with their service, and I know you'll love it too. Head to thenextreel.com slash audible and get your free trial. It really helps us out, and you have a world of over 200,000 audiobooks open to you. So much great material available. Dive in with a free 30-day trial at thenextreel.com slash audible. Start listening to amazing audiobooks of your favorite movie source material with your first free audiobook today. That's thenextreel.com slash audible. (laughs) 